This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to WTS Waikato, sharing the hyperlocal, controversial and quirky stories of the Waikato region. I'm your host, Gary Farrow. In this episode, we hear from Patricia Rocha. She's the owner of Dog Minds NZ, a dog training and owner coaching service based in Kirikiriroa, Hamilton. Patricia also hosts the Booze Hounds Society educational sessions at her local Brewocracy in Terapa on the second Wednesday of each month. So, uh, my name is Patricia. I run my own business called Dog Minds NZ here uh, in Hamilton. So, I cover most of Hamilton and uh, some towns and cities around it. I specialize in uh, behavior and training uh, and focusing on owner coaching and one on one sessions. Um, so, behavior modification is what I'm passionate about. And I have had dog minds for about four years. I have been a dog trainer for five, and I finished my course six years ago. I did my certification in Australia with the uh, National Dog Trainers Federation. That's when it all started from there. And then I moved to New Zealand and there was an opportunity to do it full time, which was fantastic. But before that, I worked with rescues a lot. So when I was in Sydney, I volunteered for um, a couple of rescues. I was already dealing with a lot of the the behind the scenes with adoption and uh, and fosters. But my background is in marketing and business. So that's what I did for quite some time. And I just decided that my passion was in dogs and it was about time to do it. But of course, it all, it wouldn't have started without a dog. So 2014, I adopted a dog in Australia and that came with a bit of baggage. <laughs> so he was a mixed breed, um, bull, a mixed bull breed. So potentially staffy, um, bull terrier. And he had a bit of everything. And, uh, and everything I knew about dogs at that stage was not was not really working mind you this was a long time ago mm -hmm. but that dog came into my life and it, I had to adjust things I had to learn and so when I started digging and learning and reading and watching documentaries um and and just I just wanted to learn about dog behavior um and he taught me many many things including that most or some dogs actually don't thrive in uh, dog parks and so I learned the hard way, but, uh, but he made it very clear. He also taught me that I should be my dog's advocate and that my dog is my dog, it's not society's dog. Uh, and uh, it changed my mind a lot uh, about how I saw dogs uh, and how I approached dogs. Um, and then a few years later, I just decided that the corporate world had, had done enough and I needed to, to change my path. Um, and that brought me to New Zealand too. Patricia continued on to talk about the Booze Hound Society at Bureaucracy. It's my local, so I do go there quite often. And it is a dog-friendly venue, and there aren't that many that actually allow dogs inside. And so we ended up having a chat about it, and, 
and I said, well, why don't we just do a presentation because there are so many people with dogs here. And sometimes you do see dogs struggling or the owners want to be in that environment, but you could tell that the dogs don't. Um, and from a behavior and training perspective. So I, I'm a dog trainer, but I focus a lot on the emotional um, side of, of the dog. So what are the emotions that are triggering the, the behavior? So these days, a lot of trainers have preferred more of more of the psychological side of um, of dog uh, of animal training, um, and that's what I focus on. So I do a lot of owner coaching. I do one on ones. Um, I prefer it because in a group environment, in a group setting, sometimes it's hard to address each need of of each dog and each owner. And so, um, and so from that point of view, for me, it was quite hard sometimes to be there and have to like not say anything. And you can't just go out and tell people what to do with their dogs or tell them to go home because their dog's struggling. But then I thought, well, why don't we just do some educational sessions? So it was one of my goals this year was to create more awareness and give, give more rather than just charging and waiting for people to want to pay for that. So it's education. It's basically education. I'm a teacher too, so uh, it all comes together. Mm. And um, and it's I think the more awareness we generate, and it, we don't have to go into the technical terms, or we don't have to go into um, specific advice. To this is what you need to do with your dog at home and or here or whatever it is. It's more of understanding what the dogs are communicating. So the first one we did was all. Uh, focused on dog behavior uh, so understanding signals um, understanding that um, what your dog is communicating to you if he does a big shake off or or a big yawn which quite often is, is just misinterpreted as oh he's tired and it's like mm, no it could actually be frustration uh, it could be stress um, and so it's understanding those little signals and those little cues because it is communication and the way our dogs behave is a way of their, they, them communicating with us. Um, so we're verbal communicators and dogs are much, much more body language and, uh, and expressions rather than um, trying to bark at us. <laughs> <laughs> they can't quite talk and the way they talk is through that. And so the first one was just that, the basics of what are stress signals, what are fear signals, um, what are those mild signals and those subtle uh, signs that they're trying to communicate and but because we don't read them and we don't know how to act um, upon those signals then there is a lack of communication and that's when the dogs start creating a lot of frustration or they start feeling like they're not being heard and when that communication breaks we can have a lot of behavior problems so all of a sudden the dogs started growling or, or, or biting and it's like, well, okay, what were the signals before that? That had to be other signals. And so that's what we did in the first one. And then the second one, we had the team leader for dog training in the police force here in the Waikato. And so and it was great because we focus a lot on working breeds because we do see a lot of uh, Border Collies and um, German Shepherds and all of those dogs that were once bred for a purpose, which was work. And now we're seeing them in family environments and busy environments. And, and then there's a lot of issues that come with that. Um, so it's understanding their needs and what were they bred for. 
or if they have a choice because the human has a choice even kids if they are uncomfortable there we sort of go mm, okay well let's just go because the kids are struggling um but how can a dog communicate that apart from lunging backing going a bit insane um uh, from a, a human perspective and that that just causes frustration on the owner and that sometimes is perceived as my dog is disobedient my dog is not well trained um and then it comes with the weight of also being looked at or, or people going oh your dog is out of control when most of the times it's just the dogs are not coping with that environment so and there's a lot to understand there we're seeing the results of years and years of um poor breeding practices um we're seeing the evolution of the dogs themselves because the dogs we have today weren't the dogs that our grandparents had or, or that we had 30 years ago. Um, I grew up on a farm, rural Portugal, and we had lots of dogs on the farm, but they were chained up to the kennel at night uh, or in their kennels, and then they could just run around free, chase the tractors, do whatever they wanted throughout the day. So they were quite fulfilled for what they needed to do. And they had a lot of freedom. And so they were quite happy to just go into their kennels at night and go, oh, that's fine, tomorrow's another day. But today, we are bringing those dogs that potentially would want to be running around on a farm and we put them on short leads and take them onto busy streets and walk them by schools and take them to a cafe and have these expectations that um, of our dogs that just don't really match. Um, and so so with years and years of, of breeding, uh, inbreeding and, and uh, litter after litter, then dogs start coming out with a lot of knowledge and knowledge that has been passed for, through generations, just the way that our kids are. Kids today are not the same that kids were 30 years ago. So, but we expect our dogs to be, and I hear this quite often. It's like, oh, I, I had dogs all my life, but this one's different. And sometimes it is related to that. It doesn't mean that it's always the case but it could be the fact that dogs have evolved, they have learned, and they have cl clearly learned that what works for them and what doesn't. And and we do see extremes. Dogs that learn that um, because they're the parents and grandparents and the previous generations, quite cute, fluffy, small dogs that kept being picked up and carried and taken in handbags or under their arms and and just moved around all the time. And all of a sudden we start seeing more dogs of those particular breeds um, not wanting to be picked up. And when I say not wanting is showing um, aggressive behavior or unwanted behaviors towards being picked up or being touched or being um, over cuddled or, or restrained. And that happens a lot. So we see all these white fluffies that everyone wants to be their cute lap dog to take to a cafe. And then they absolutely hate being touched and they growl and they snap and, um, and people don't understand why. And people who might not be familiar with dogs complain about yappy dogs in inverted commas, um, but that just be because the animal is uh, is overstimulated or in Anxious. a situation which it, yeah which it shouldn't naturally be in. Absolutely. What we're dealing with is people breeding for looks rather than traits uh, or temperament. So we've got amazing dogs. They um, they have perfect temperaments. They have they're very resilient. They they're robust. They can handle a lot. Great. We can have puppies from them. 
that rarely happens. We have people that, and, and we know that, there are really good, responsible breeders out there, okay? Um, they're often a lot more specific with what they want from people who buy the dogs from them. While if you go on Trade Me, you're gonna see lots and lots of, of, of advertising for um, puppies. Puppies of all sorts of breeds, lots of terriers, uh, lots of shepherds, and lots of those little breeds that even the oodles we call them. So the cavoodles, the poodles, the toy poodles, etc. And they're very cute. But again, if they don't come from um, good genes and and uh, parents that have been that have have had that um, that training and exposure and socialization. Um, and the temperament that we want, then we're going to end up having a lot of complicated um, temperaments coming out of there. So they look very cute. They're absolutely adorable. But then what they bring with them might not be exactly what the owner expects. And we're dealing with puppy, puppy mills and puppy farms all over the world, to be fair. And they're not cheap. And for me, I often when I meet new clients and and they have a puppy and it's not exactly what they expected and I ask a few questions and I often ask did you meet mum and dad and if if I get a no we didn't we met halfway or the breeder said we couldn't go to their houses and I for me that is a red flag or if they met the mum but they didn't meet the dad because of whatever reason so and it, sometimes it means that the dad is in a completely different place or if the dad is in the back of the house. So why didn't we meet? Because responsible readers do have that and they have a process of integration. They have, um, they do tell the owners that if anything happens, you come back to us. And when you have a breeder that sells the dog and then goes, that's it. We cut off any communication, even if you want to ask a simple question afterwards. Um, they don't. And... So we're talking about, of course, behavior issues, if you want to say. Um, but then, of course, there's also the health part of it, which is the talk that we're going to have today. Uh, it's going to be mainly focused on pain. And uh, and we do see a lot of problems that come from birth. So puppies who are already showing signs of hip dysplasia or clicking backs or luxated patellas. And, uh, and that comes with a lot of problems later on. So it's not only behavioural problems, but physiological problems as well. And I exactly. suppose the physiology would directly influence how a dog is able to process sensory inputs. 100%. Because there's discomfort. How many times have we been unwell and we just can't tolerate anything? And someone, if we're not well, we just don't want to be out and about seeing people talking to people or, or doing a, or going to a social event um, most of the time so we just want to be left alone in our corners um, and and allowed to to process what's going on and that happens with dogs too um, but the problem is that most of the times the dogs don't show pain until it's really bad uh, but then it's through those signals that we can then interpret that hmm, something could be off I wonder what it is I recently had a case um, that I received a phone call and the owner said that she had a 15-month-old um, spoodle, I think. And, um, and then all of a sudden, in the last couple of weeks, he would go into the on the couch and every time he would be approached, he would growl. And of course, the owners 
uh, panicked and what's going on. It's a behavior issue. We need a trainer. So we had a phone, uh, a phone chat and I said, okay, the first thing we're going to do is because if you've only seen it in the last few weeks, this is recent, you need a vet check first because your dog could be in pain, most likely. So he didn't want to be picked up. He didn't want to be pat, didn't want to touch, be touched, but he was really cuddly before that. So something triggered it. So um, she had a vet consultation and they found out that he had um, back problems. So uh, he was in a lot of pain. So pain, pain medication comes in, therapies come in, and then we can talk about the behavior. And, and all we do is then we have to respect that. If the dog is growling, the dog is communicating that is, something is wrong, especially in that context, because it does depend on the context. Growling can mean many things, but normally is the leave me alone, give me space. And, uh, and we often, there is still a mentality that the dog cannot growl at me. If the dog is going to growl at me, I'm gonna tell him off. I'm gonna tell him no, or I'm gonna shout at the dog, or I'm gonna even whack the dog. And that is the worst thing that we can do to a dog that is clearly communicating, give me space. It sounds pretty similar to communicating with a young child who doesn't know how to communicate properly. That's exactly um, right. The same reactions have the same negative consequences, which are going to be impressioned for a long time. Mm -hmm. That is exactly right. So there was, there are a lot of studies these days um, that have been done uh, with children and that uh, the results are very similar to the ones that we get from dogs. Um, because for them, uh, just like with children, sometimes you can't rationally explain it to them, the why or the reasons why we do certain things or, or, um, or try to deal with emotions because it's really complicated for them. Um, and they might just communicate in a different way, but it is very clear, I'm, I'm upset. Uh, I'm gonna show you that I'm upset. Um, and, it, and then it depends on how you react. And, um, and these days we know, and so much more research has been done in the last 10, 20 years about animal behavior and psychology and how their brains work and how they act and how they respond to certain things um, and updated research. Now, it doesn't mean that the science is always correct or 100% correct, um, but, uh, but it's important to read what comes from it. And so, and my, in my experience, for me, the most important thing is to educate the humans on what the dog is potentially feeling or the emotional state of the dog, what the dog is trying to communicate, and then let's work with that. I do obedience, um, but I deal with a lot of reactivity in aggression cases um, or resource guarding, which is a really big issue at the moment, um, which is the, when the dog decides to um, guard a certain item, could be food, toys, could be a location, could be a, a person, um, because he considers that it, that has a lot of value to him and he doesn't want to share it. And that can sometimes be a consequence of certain actions that we've done in the house, including uh, when the dog is eating, people go and touch the food. So there was a myth that was created many years ago um, and that was going around, circled around the world, um, that when your dog is eating, you should tell them who's the boss and who's the owner of the food. And in order to do that, you should go and touch the dog's food and then take it away 
and then put it back. So you're basically inflicting micro traumas on the dogs. Exactly right. And the problem that that can create, create later on is huge. And some dogs will just look at you and go, what was that for? But some dogs will immediately go, shock. So next time you try to do it, the dog growls and then the, the human punishes. So then we've got a very complicated zone. Um, the, the bond is lost, the trust is lost um, because we created the situation. So more and more we try to educate people that your dog is eating, leave the dog alone. There's no point playing those games. Like I don't want anyone touching my food. Someone comes and tries to get take my favorite food, I'm probably gonna get very upset. So it's more about educating the humans about the dog's behavior, about how to um, approach and address certain behaviors. And then if we're, we're dealing with more serious behaviors like aggression or, or um, aggressive behavior towards something, including reactivity, there are many different types of reactivity, but uh, most of the trainers that I know, uh, it's one of the things that we deal the most uh, with the most is uh, leash, re leash reactivity towards something. Um, and it could be many things, but that is also potentially a consequence of our busy environments and our busy lives. We go out onto a busy road and uh, there's bicycles and children and scooters and buses and the dogs completely overstimulated, overwhelmed, um, and we try to train them in that environment and that's not going to work because it's physically, mentally impossible for that dog to actually focus. Um, and then the leash, of course, because the leash is most of the times the cause of all reactivity. Mm. I often tell my clients that if this was a dog world, leashes wouldn't exist. They would just go and inspect each other and then if there was a, a scuffle, there would be a scuffle, but that's fine. They would just walk away and then continue which we see in a lot of countries where you see roaming dogs or street dogs um but they're very independent do their own thing take off go scavenge and then sometimes defend their own resources and and have their little fights but it is well, you're free to do whatever you want in a human world it doesn't work that way we have a lot of rules we have a lot of social rules laws expectations and the dogs come into this world and they're expected to know all of that. Nope, you can't pull on the lead. No, you cannot cross the road. No, you cannot jump. So there's a lot of no's and I often see that. Um, but so it's important that we take the time to teach the dog what is the yes? Where is the yes? What are the things that we want them to do? So our preferred or wanted behaviors. So I don't like to label them good or bad uh, because it depends. A lot of the times it depends on the owner. Um, and so I tell them that you make the rules. If those are your rules, I'm going to tell you how to make them clear to your dog. If there are rules that I think that the dog is not going to be very good with um, or that's not going to be appropriate for him. So if I have a potential resource garter, I'm not I'm going to say that maybe it's better that the dog is not on the couch or on the bed because he could start uh, resource guarding that, which means that no one will be able to um, approach him. So I, I do make those recommendations, but the rules outside are the hardest ones because they're very complicated. Um, and sometimes there's a lot of gray areas. We don't make it clear enough for the dog what is the yes and the no. So there's a lot of no, 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 but they're not enough yes. So they don't have options. 
They so, don't have options of what course of behaviour they're going to follow. Exactly. So pulling on the lead is a no, but then what is the yes? So are we communicating enough of this yes? Are we telling it, spending enough time practising the yes and minimising the no's? Um, because and even though there is still in, there is still a mentality ingrained in um, society that dogs must be 100% obedient. Um, that is that, that unrealistic expectation. When um, I go into cases that there is so much happening, the dog is incredibly overwhelmed, is very nervous, very agitated, and the expectation is I want my dog to be comfortable going into a cafe with me and lie down on the floor and just fall asleep. And sometimes I say that is possible in a few years time if we do all of this and there's a lot of conditions. If not, then it's completely unrealistic because we are expecting something from our dogs that it's just not possible for him um, psychologically, temperament wise. So you'd have so much diversity among dogs' personalities, not to mention different sort of standards of personality between the breeds and crossbreeds and everything like that. How do you actually get your head around all of this, especially when you were first getting into it? Um, it it's, it's a bottomless pit, isn't it? You have to learn on a dog-by-dog -dog basis. basis. Yes, and that's why I prefer to focus on owner coaching and one-on-one -on -one sessions um, because you can dedicate a lot more time to it. So normally I have an idea or the owner has already completed a client form where they tell me what their expectations are um, or that they tell me what the main issues they want to address are because sometimes we don't need to address everything we can just focus on the ones that they really need unless they're all related and that's why most of the times the consult takes about two hours because there's a lot to unpack and if I see that immediately there is an unrealistic expectation for that particular dog I do communicate that to the owner and I'll, I, I set realistic goals I say, by the end of this year, you can potentially be here, but this is your program. This is what you need to be following. And not just uh, sometimes. It's a lot of behavior modification happens throughout the day. Um, daily shaping, daily behavior conditioning, the rewarding of the wanted behaviors, the, the um, interruption and redirection of the unwanted behaviors. And that's not just a, hey, let's do obedience for half an hour outside. A lot of the times it's, within the household that we do that. So the Booze Hounds Appreciation Society events, they happen once a month at Bureaucracy, same too for the last couple of months? Yes, so we did the first one in February, so then we had another one in March, and this is the third one. Um, and yes, it's the second Wednesday of each month. And different speakers come along to each of those, um, as well as yourself speaking? Yes. So, so we created this in uh, collaboration with Bureaucracy and uh, um, they have done an amazing job um, promoting it. And so we normally go in, we do an introduction, we introduce the topic, uh, the focus of that week. And then, um, so Yvonne from Bureaucracy, she normally arranges for the, the speakers to come and uh, we decide what the topic will be. And then we start contacting people.
So you said bureaucracy welcomed dogs onto their premises. I guess they have a soft spot for dogs. Mm, they sure do. <laughs> um, it's it's uh, it's a great environment because people are very understanding, um, uh, from the owners to the managers to the staff and to the the patrons. So people who go there, they expect to see dogs around. Um, and so, yes, it's it's a great, great environment. A bit overwhelming for some dogs, I guess. Um, but uh, it's a great training opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of WTS Waikato. If you liked what you heard, you can follow the show on Facebook or find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.